0: We created Matheson as a software as a service platform to basically facilitate the measurement and systemic change as well as the training and sourcing that's needed to to basically help mobilize a diversity recruiting strategy. And we find ourselves working with a lot of high growth organizations that I would say have no question about the, the why but they need help
1: with the how. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity, with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Gidry reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insights into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground, Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority led, women led, LGBT led, and veteran led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H I R E g-r-o-u-n-d dot i-o. Now on to the episode.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here today with Matt Cocacello, who is in for Chloe Goodry-Reed. And in today's episode, we're sitting down with Arthur Woods, a social entrepreneur and an LGBTQ plus advocate who works at the intersection of of equity and technology. Arthur is a co-founder of Matheson, a venture-backed technical platform and the author of the nationwide best-selling book, Hiring for Diversity. He has years of experience as an entrepreneur, investor, and diversity advocate. And we are so excited to have him on the show today. Arthur, welcome to the Adam and Matt show for this episode. So (laughs) glad to have you in studio with us today. Welcome, Arthur. Thank you, Adam and Matt. Thanks for having me. So tell our audience a little bit, you know, how did the journey of an entrepreneur begin, right? I always love this story. As as I sit in supplier diversity, Mm -hmm. I have the chance of talking with, uh, you know, a lot of small, diverse-owned businesses. And the story is always so very personal, it seems to me, right? There's a passion, a fire, something's like, I just got to go out and do this on my own. So tell us a little bit, how does the journey of an entrepreneur begin?
0: Well that's exactly right. You know we 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 I always say that the journey begins with you know discovering a need usually within yourself and the world mm-hmm. and feeling the conviction to act on it, right? So for me right I grew up in a single parent family, very poor. Um, okay. I discovered that I was gay halfway through college. Um, okay. That really turned my, you know, kind of my entire perception of the future on its head in, in a great sure. way. Um, sure. But when I when I walked into my very first corporate job, um, I overheard a homophobic slur from one of the interviewers. Ooh. Okay. And Ooh. you know that for me uh, just threw me into a whole new mode of thinking. Wow, you know, maybe at work I have to be a different. Person, not my authentic mm-hmm. self, than you know how I feel at home. And right. um, I, I, be, I, I began this journey of really discovering, you know, how can I, how can I start to innovate in the workplace mm-hmm. in a way that brings out a sense of humanity? Um, and over the last few years, I know you both uh, have seen this directly as well. You know, work has has played an increasingly important role in our lives. Right. Um, and yet for work, you know, for so many people, work isn't a place where they feel a sense of belonging or where they can be their authentic selves. So for me, that's that's kind of been my my personal goal for the last de- decade more than ever is create technology, create experiences that bring out you know a sense of humanity in our
2: workplace. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I love that. I love that. Again, that that personal passion that helps kind of drive um, some of that that fire, uh, you know, that I always see in, in entrepreneurs. That's awesome. So what do you think, though, are some of the unique challenges that diverse entrepreneurs in particular face, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and how should they think about overcoming those? Right. Because that is a unique set of challenges.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great question, and Mm -hmm. you know, underrepresented entrepreneurs, diverse entrepreneurs, uh, you know, essentially today walk into conversations with venture capitalists that look a lot like conversations with corporate executives, right? It's Mm -hmm. a very homogenous group um, that that sometimes doesn't know uh, anything outside of their homogenous circle, and um, and you know, it oftentimes, you know, there's there's a huge affinity bias. We talk about this all the time when when Uh, when a VC is investing, just like when an executive is hiring. Um, it's very common, it's human nature to look for familiarity. You know, Uh, who went to my alma mater? Who looks like me? Who played the same sports as me? Um, Do I know their father, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so it's no surprise that uh, for many entrepreneurs, especially in technology, it's been a homogenous group that's been invested in today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, underrepresented entrepreneurs have a huge opportunity right now. I think, first of all, because the world has kind of woken up, you know, the world has noticed, wow, we we need to make sure that the companies we're refueling reflect the society that they're serving, Go figure, right? Mm-hmm. The entrepreneurs right. that we are backing actually reflect the society that we're trying to solve problems for, yeah. Um, and that's been our goal at, at Matheson is you know to to create a workforce that reflects society at all levels. But yes, for entrepreneurs, I say tell your story, tell your 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 authentic story. I try to represent within the first few minutes of meeting a VC that, um, I I'm in the LGBTQ community and that that's a huge okay. part of what what drives me every day, you know? Okay.
3: Can, can you talk about how that experience then kind of catalyzed creating Matheson mm-hmm. as something that's the sort of end to end solution for corporations to hire diversity. I'm um, I, I yeah. a career person myself. You walk into these experiences where you feel ostensibly like the only mm-hmm. LGBTQ person in the room. And even though that sometimes stings or it feels odd or it feels like you're, you're, you're starting from three steps behind, it also is like mm. that gives you that catalytic feeling of wanting to, I'm going to change the situation. So I'd, I'd love mm-hmm. to know more about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Matt, thank you for asking that. And Absolutely. So I mean, for us, uh, you know, we, we looked at the fact that, you know, as we all know, in the last two years, diversity, equity, inclusion kind of went from what felt like a bit of an elective uh, effort for many organizations to an essential. True. And, and yeah. I think a lot, so many leaders, whether they were they themselves underrepresented, or they were allies, or, you know, aspiring allies wanting to be wanting to be advocates, you know, mm-hmm. there was this kind of wake up call of, wow, we really need to change, we need to do more. And, you it's not just going to be a wish and a prayer that gets us there. We're going to have to actually <laughs> right. change our systems, mm-hmm. change the mindset of a lot of our decision makers, and we're going to have to just change the behavior of our teams, right? And so, to, to, to you know, it's it's not enough to simply say, okay, let's just go post to a diversity job board and cross our fingers, and all of a sudden right. our, our organization will be represented. So. What we realized with Matheson was, wow, okay, this this systemic change, which is largely about our policies, our processes, um, our systems, and the behavior of our teams needs to be facilitated with technology. It's just, there's no other scalable way because a lot of what we were witnessing was this new, this advent of these amazing new companies, by the way, backed by, I would say, mission-driven founders that really had a vision for the world, but, you know, saw that, wow, there's so much we need to do to change our systems overnight. What software will get us there? So we created um, Matheson as a software as a service platform to basically facilitate the measurement and systemic change, as well as the training and sourcing that's needed to to basically help mobilize a diversity recruiting strategy. And we ourselves working with a lot of high growth organizations that I would say have no
2: question about the, the why, but they need help with the how. And it, it comes back to um, a phrase we use on this show all the time, and that's intentionality, right? We can't right. do DE&I, whether it is hiring or looking for diverse suppliers to put into our ecosystems. It's not a willy-nilly kind of, like you said, I like that, cross our fingers and, and hope, you know, that we hit some marks. But you actually have to sit down and go, what's the end game? What are we really trying okay. to drive towards? What are we trying to change? What do we want the organization to look like in five years? And how do we get there? Right. And I love that. But so talk to us a little bit. I You know, so now I'm going to put on my old uh, IT sourcing hat. Okay. (laughs) And, and, and I heard Matheson. No, 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 no. Oh, measuring software. Okay. But I don't think that's all that it is. Right. So go a little deeper into that and tell us, give us a little bit more behind Matheson. Right. I always like to, yeah. What is it that makes it stand out? It's you're attracting high growth companies. So that means it's got a certain something in it. Right. Tell us what that is. Why, what makes it kind of that software we all need to kind of put it on our radar screen
0: yeah great question I, and I love that I can get technical and deep here because we're 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 talking to entrepreneurs who get it right and and are, right. and are also architecting amazing systems um right. so here, here uh, so first of all Matheson was named after Alan Turing his middle name was Matheson and cool. if everyone knows Turing's story if, if everyone's seen the imitation game with Benedict Cumberbatch yep. you know um Turing uh you know helped crack the Enigma code in World War II. And yet he faced persecution at the end of his career and his life because he was gay. So uh, this sort of, you know, Core mission of of a workforce that reflects the diversity of society and diversity becoming a strength, really, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, um, most employers we talk to and we ask them, "What do you really think you need?" Everyone says, "I just need diverse candidates. Just give me these bodies. Where are they? They're hiding under a rock somewhere, right?" And <laughs> we we have the conversation. We all know that's not you know. that that's Oh not yeah, a, yeah. That's what we all say, well, what? <laughs> So that's the D. That's the D, right? We right, all get that we right. need greater representation, greater diversity. But exactly, we, we we really believe. I think as you both do that. That equity and inclusion are the pathway to diversity, right. If we have equitable systems, right? That are accessible to everyone that are fair mm-hmm. and, and impartial. And mm-hmm. if we're creating inclusive cultures, not only in the hiring process, but in the teams that we create and, and support, we believe diversity will be possible, right? Um, right. So that and, and those two pieces, equity and inclusion, have been the, the most squishy, kind of immeasurable. Oh, yeah. um, typically, by the way, the, the most transformational work that's delivered around equity and inclusion is done by consultants, and there are amazing consultants out there who will come and embed themselves in organizations and really help them undergo this transformation. But the right, challenge yeah. is there actually there literally are not enough. There's not enough capacity and expertise in the world to meet you know, all the transformation that's needed for these organizations. So we said, well, how can we, how can software help facilitate the equity inclusion uh, piece that we're, that we see missing? So we have an assessment system that's called our equity index, and it gives okay. organizations a framework to basically gauge their policies, diagnose every step of the way of how they hire, how they engage candidates, how they onboard, how they advance and promote candidates mm. um, to basically figure out where, what is inequitable. You know, what, mm-hmm. where do you need to shift your policies, programs, and operations to be more accessible and more fair and equitable to all candidates? We believe right. if you do these things, and we figured out there are 45 different dimensions of what we can assess there, um, if wow. you do these things, you're going to bring in a candidate and they're hopefully going to advance, you know, in, right. in a more equitable way. Right. And by the way, some of these things were very obvious. Like we found that nine out of 10 times, there's a glaring accessibility issue in the hiring process that means a person with disabilities cannot physically even apply to that job, right? So oh, some wow. Some of these things mm-hmm. are fairly, you know, you would, you would think obvious or overt, but huge, right? And And, Right. Um, it's no doubt that 70% of the workforce that, that uh, with disabilities is unemployed today and this probably has a lot to do with it, right? Right. So super excited about that. One of the things that it, it basically automates and facilitates the whole measurement process of, of equity across your systems. What we've done from there is we've we've uh, centralized technology to, to do things like write a more inclusive job description, you know, assess our job description for exclusionary or biased terms so when a candidate first reads this opportunity, it's hopefully a neutral accessible Framing that makes them want to apply and doesn't throw them off, you know. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we realized, uh, you know, there's training and behavior change that's needed for your team. Most teams have, Mm -hmm. at some point in time, done the one the one time unconscious bias training. It's like, okay, cool, I have bias. What do I do about it? So we created courses around things like inclusive interviewing and inclusive onboarding. So Mm -hmm. um, managers and decision makers across the board um, hopefully are operating in a more equitable way when they're bringing. Cannabis
2: in. You know, I love that because it breaks away from the mold of, and I, and I think a lot of people do this without realizing they've done it, right? So I don't think there is a, a malice behind it, but it's kind of like, right. well, this is the onboarding we've always had, right? What's, what's wrong with the onboarding? I'm just bringing somebody on and we don't realize that we've actually started putting up barriers, if you will, almost from the word go in an unintentional fashion, right? Yes. And I love that you guys are coming in and saying, no, 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 no. We need to look at this process from like the, I'm interested in doing, I'm working with you through the onboarding, through my career, through the offboarding, moving on to my next assignment. And I love that. That whole life cycle has to get pulled apart, right? Because I think a lot of times DEI, DE&I efforts start with, we need diverse workforce. We know we need to represent the communities in which we work and play. And that's that's great, right? If that's where you're starting, please keep it up. Don't stop, right? But that's I love great. that you guys are even like, no, 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 but we got to go even further back, right? I mean, if we were really going to do this, we've got to go even further back on it. That's fantastic. I love that.
3: Yeah. I mean, retention and obviously success require cultural change just right. as much right. as we've got the numbers here. You know, we've hired this many people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so important. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that cultural change and retention? Yeah, piece that, that yeah supports? that'd be great.
0: Well, yeah. No, thanks for asking that. I mean, it, 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 you're absolutely right. And look, when we look at what's happening in the in the market today, I think it, you know we're all we're all anticipating um, a slower market, potentially a recession. Retention is going to become even more important because some of the organizations who maybe aren't hiring as as much as they were in the last two years are now thinking about who do we keep, who do we advance, how do we mm-hmm. not fall backwards in these mm-hmm. diversity efforts that we had in place or these goals that we set, right? So the 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 uh, retention piece is all about for us having a consistent way of gauging, how included, how how much of a sense of belonging do people feel? How engaged are they in our in our DEI efforts? So mm-hmm. we've actually curated a whole series of, of metrics, survey metrics that you can mm. roll out to your team um, to better understand how they're feeling, but also how they're behaving. And part right. of that, by the way, we found is that there's been this is a really interesting trend. I'd love to get both of your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. We found that most of the time organizations have a very narrow definition of diversity itself. Oh yeah, um, and many times that's built around the kind of federal equal opportunity employer, the EEO, you know, right, uh, yep. taxonomy, which is gender, ethnicity, and I think like veteran status sometimes, right? Right. So when when most employers are setting out these lofty diversity goals, they're basically measuring about that much of what they could technically be. So they're mm-hmm. leaving out the disability community, the LGBTQ community, the neurodivergent community, the refugee right. and immigrant community, working parents, mm-hmm. right? We so so we created a taxonomy that covers fourteen underrepresented communities and one of the first things that we say is give candidates of all communities the optional anonymous option to volunteer uh, that data in the hiring process early on right and when you're surveying your team you're trying to understand how can I better support people from a retention and an advancement standpoint Let's make sure we have a really inclusive way that we're actually gauging diversity to begin with. So we've actually had folks um, embed these new questions and you know the the interesting thing that we're finding Adam and Matt is that employers are realizing wow 7% of my existing workforce is neurodivergent. We didn't even know that, right? right. Wow, that means we could, we could be doing a lot of other things to ensure right. we are accessible from a, a learning and from a communication standpoint. We have, you know, uh, wow, 15% of our workforce is working parents. How does that shift our policies and our, yeah. you know, our, our support? So we, we, we can only manage what we can measure. That's why it's so critical that we have a, a holistic picture of diversity across our organization. You
2: right. know, and I think that's a very good point. You know, but and I also think, and and it, this is my observation, that we're also getting more comfortable as a society talking about it, right? Mm. So I can tell just by looking to you, you two gentlemen, I'm probably the older one of the three of us on this this uh, recording session here today. So for when I grew up, you really didn't, you know, you didn't really say anything about it. That, and I grew up, my family wasn't a military family. My mother grew up as mm. a military brat, so it was kind of a, you know, don't rock the boat. You know, it was that type of thing. Mm. You know, so you didn't really talk about things. Right. And I think, Mm. especially in the areas of mental health. So, One of the things that I have only recently become comfortable about talking about because of my experiences in the military and as a police officer before coming into corporate America is PTSD, right? Mm. I was like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, you're never going to get those words out of my lips, like at all. That is something I'm going to lock down deep and just deal with on my own. But, you know, I had a conversation with somebody like, hey, you have like a platform that people are listening to you. So if you're not talking about your own struggles and your own inability to talk about it, you're not going to help anybody talk about it. Mm. Right. And I've heard. Both of you gentlemen come right out and say, yeah, we're part of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, these are fantastic conversations to have. And if people are like, oh, well, OK, it's not stigmatic. To say, yeah, you know, I have a neurodiverse background, or I, you know, I have a different uh, orientation. Some that's it's okay. If we can we can talk about it and accept it and explain it. And I don't mind, and I and I've I've heard this from you guys too, is just being comfortable and talking about it too. Mm. Right. And I love that that we're doing these types yeah. of things to say, no, this is a safe place, work is this is a safe place. The hiring process is a safe place because I have to tell you, you look at these forms and you're like, Yeah, I am oh, I don't have to disclose. Good. Moving on to the next question, you know, because there was always that question, but I think think stuff like you're doing brings out goes, no, 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 no. We just want to make sure we're being inclusive. And if you are part Mm -hmm. of our team, we're giving you the tools you need to be successful in our organization. 100%. Matt, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: You know, Arthur, just in the sense, as Adam was talking, I was thinking that part of the cultural change and then the political change and the economic change around LGBTQ people, has been, that mm. for us, coming out has been essential, right? Coming mm. out has been like you are not only honest about your authentic self, but you're also bringing to people a narrative of what it's mm-hmm. like to be marginalized that helps them understand in a very personal way the oppressive system that they've been part of, even if they didn't think they were. And I, I'm just realizing that that model of coming out has actually I feel like it's become used now in a lot of different communities that by identifying mm-hmm. Yeah, that's people,
2: true. Yes. Saying, hey,
3: I've actually, you know me, and I've actually gone through this, whatever it might be, whatever form mm. of marginalization it's been, has really been helpful. And then and I'm, I'm, and I was thinking, Matheson, the tools that you're using actually create safe and data-driven ways yes. for people to come out about all of the many yeah. ways that they may have been marginalized. Mm-hmm. And then for mm. employers to create a space that is inclusive mm. of people who are given the opportunity to self-identify. So, so powerful. So, so powerful.
0: I, I, I love that, Matt. And, I, and you're right. I mean, I, I think we today, sadly, you know, we, we did a study, you know, where we pulled about 500 underrepresented job seekers last year. Right. We asked them, how safe do you feel uh, identifying in, in the hiring process? How clear is it for you that um, the organization you're applying to is committed to diversity? And That's... the vast majority don't feel safe. Uh, the vast majority, feel like diversity is a disadvantage in the hiring process. And only 8% said, I'm clear about this organization's DEI priorities when I first applied to a job. It was just staggeringly low. So when we mm-hmm. have that kind of environment where you know this is seen as a disadvantage, it's seen as a, a hindrance in my, my career, and I'm not clear on an organization's commitment to this work, we 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 have to create a whole new system. So so you're right. absolutely right, Matt. You know our goal has been create a safe environment that um, that enables people to identify to share their input, their feedback. That hopefully enables more responsive organizations um, that they can learn. And and yeah. I and I feel the same way. You know, I I I've had multiple instances in my in my career where I feel like I've I've almost come out multiple times in different <laughs> capacities of my identity. Sure. And yeah. uh, and the first was was realizing I'm not an evangelical Christian. You know, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> You know, it's 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 really interesting, and I think we are. You know, we're finding more and more that there. One of the greatest things that's happened in the last two years is we have gone from from vulnerability being a weakness to it be it, it truly becoming a strength. And these critical aspects of what makes us different or unique have have really become a power. Um, and I think leaders have have realized that the the channel and the conduit through which they can most meaningfully reach their teams is is purely through authentic. And vulnerable communication, sometimes not mm-hmm. knowing the answer, you know, mm-hmm. or representing this, 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 you know, potentially challenging aspect of, of your, your past or your identity that, that you haven't been able to share before. It's creating so much trust and belonging, especially in this virtual environment where we're oftentimes not even physically meeting people that we work with. Right.
2: You know, Arthur, you just touched on something that I think is so super critical for our leaders and our future leaders out there, right? And realizing that as a leader, you're not going to have touched all cultures, all backgrounds, all facets of diversity, right? I mean, it's, it is far-reaching and deep. There's no way a leader can be 360 degrees fully immersed in every one of them, right? Mm. So it's incumbent to ask the question. And I think that is something that I have seen in some leadership of they don't, it's not that they don't want to know, but they're so super paranoid about asking the wrong question and offending. They're like, you know what? I'm just not going to ask, right? And I think then that creates a whole negative culture, not intentionally, Mm -hmm. but it creates a negative culture of, well, they're not even asking me about this. They must not care. But the leaders over Mm -hmm. here are like, no, I do care. I just don't know how to ask it. So this, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is what Matheson kind of helps us fix a little bit, right? Help give us that lens to feel comfortable asking the question. It's like, so what does that mean in your culture? Well, how does that make you feel right? And, Mm. And not feel paranoid in asking the question in leadership to get down to where you can help close those gaps.
0: That's right. And and I'll tell you that um, this concept of cancel culture, which right. I, I, I become really uh challenged with in general, it, it almost feels like it's a bit of a uh you know an exit opportunity for for many folks to say, okay, I, I'm gonna mm-hmm. remove myself, I'm gonna accuse myself from this conversation. Right. Um, you know, it, I don't want to get canceled. created. Yeah. Right. I don't want to be canceled. I want to say right. it, do the wrong thing. I think a lot of folks that have been open but not on board um as mm-hmm. as potential allies have kind of removed them themselves from the conversation because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been on the phone with, you know, white straight male executives who just, they say, I really want to do the right thing, but I'm just so afraid of, I'm looking at this, this, the aftermath of folks that have done the wrong thing. And I should, I shouldn't right. do anything. And it's like, right. we really need everyone, you know? So I, I, yeah. I, I love your point about, you know, getting everyone into the conversation um, and, and hopefully finding those champion leaders who are going to set the right. bar, you know, for everyone right. else, you know? Yeah.
3: Arthur, I'd, I'd love to ask you about your experience leading an LGBTQ owned business because we are a yeah. supplier diversity podcast.
2: That's true. And yes, that's, we
3: are. <laughs> I'm, I'm you know, as you take your business, as you as you sell your solution, how do you identify your business as LGBTQ owned? What are your thoughts mm. on certification? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you yeah. hear from companies? Are they looking at your business as a DEI solution and a way to diversify their supply chain? Um, or are they not necessarily considering that? Because so many companies are, as you said, they have a narrow a narrower perspective on diversity in the hiring process, and they also carry yeah. that perspective yeah. Yeah. to their supply chain diversity programs.
0: One hundred percent. And I have to tell you that um, when I look at the the progress that's been made in the DEI space in general, if we you know kind of encapsulate it as one collective space, because yeah. all as we know all all, all interferes. I think supplier diversity work um, thanks. Greatly to the work that you both do is, you. is has made has made tremendous progress, and sometimes even more so than the progress we've we've seen on the hiring or the, the mm-hmm. engagement front, you know, from a talent standpoint. So, um, and when I meet the supplier diversity champions in most of the larger organizations, I feel like they are sometimes light years ahead of their colleagues. So mm-hmm. there is such goodness mm-hmm. in the space. We say, look, you know, you, you this work will not be sustainable if it's only reflected in your talent. Efforts, it has to be reflected in the way, the work that you're doing in the community and the work that you're doing in your supply chain. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we're very proud to be an LGBTQ in business. We, as as I think one of the one of the challenges, I, I will say that as, as, as we're a venture-backed company, we mm-hmm. originally took uh, you know VC and angel investment from largely LGBT investors. And as okay. we've grown to take capital from funds. That, that, you know, of course, percentage ownership has gone down quite right, a bit. Right. So we always have to be, of course, when we look at our overall diversity, we're majority women, we're majority working parents, we're um, you know, at this point, I believe 40% people of color. Um, and we, we still are an LGBTQ in business, but we now have capital partners. So um, it's a huge part of our identity. It's, it's mm-hmm. of course, what we represent in supplier work. I absolutely encourage folks to certify. And most importantly, because there's an amazing community between groups like LG, you know, NGLCC yeah. and others, you know, there's an incredible community that's extremely reciprocal. One of the things that I think is so great about the supplier diversity communities is they really support each other, you know. Yes. Um, yes. So I think first of all, any underrepresented founder, um, you like put that's a feather in your cap. That is something that I think it's it's an incredible way to launch. There are mm-hmm. advocates that have, have full time jobs dedicated to empowering founders who have ideas yep. for businesses that are solving problems. And it's like, absolutely, it's like one of the things I think that propels this space of underrepresented founders right now.
2: Wow. Love it. No, I yeah. love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. So, you know, I would love to kind of come to our last question of this. And I think the, I think we could talk for hours actually on this, you know, but I don't- I, I have loved this. Lose, I was about to say, I think <laughs> we'd lose the audience at about 45 minutes in. Um, <laughs> But I think one of the things that I would really kind of like to, to wrap us up with, because I think we've kind of danced around all three things, but I'd love to hear your take on this, Arthur. And, and that's how does DEI and i entrepreneurship and mental health all intersect and why mm. is that intersection so important? I think that is critical. in today, you know, we've come out of this whole pandemic era. I don't even know what to call it any longer. And I think mental health has also started coming to the forefront. Right. As Mm, as we've 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 come out of this and and self-care and everything like that, things that we should have been doing years ago. But it's like, well, at least we're starting now. Right. So Mm. talk to us a little bit that how does that intersection work? Why is that so critical, do you think, to be at that crossroads?
0: I am. It's such a beautiful question. And I, you know, it's something I think a lot about, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because. If we think about um, the 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 challenges, but also the opportunities that exist among mental health, entrepreneurship, and DEI, we think right. about it. You know, the systemic barriers to date that 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 each of these have faced is uh, is collectively around the idea that there's a status quo that is largely it's largely been built by fear. It's been built sure. by control. You know, sure. And that's you know we, we could we could personify that as sort of the corporate structure, right? That is it's largely about kind of command and control and conforming. And and mm-hmm. it is threatened by new ideas in many cases because that disrupts right. the status quo. It's threatened by the idea of sort of vulnerability because um, you know the, the the sort of mentality there has been don't don't really bring that to work. That's for home, right? So mm-hmm. the idea of any kind of you know mental health vulnerability or uh, any any kind of weakness there is, is sort of seen as a threat. And then and in, in, you know DEI uh, same. You know it's been largely a homogenous group of decision makers. So each of these three by the way, is is incredibly excitingly disrupting that status quo, right? Mm -hmm. The the other piece of this is each of these three is rooted in this idea of authenticity and safety, right? If you think about Mm -hmm. what an entrepreneur really has to do is they have to dig deep, they have to Mm -hmm. get enough courage and and have enough self-awareness to bring an idea to life amid, you know, going through, you know, navigating uncharted territory, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, and it's the same with sort of representing aspects of your identity that are underrepresented. It's, it's sort of getting that courage to you know communicate this. With with a ment- from a mental health standpoint, there's been so much stigmatization of of mental health today, and it's really becoming destigmatized in such a great way. And I'll tell you, like I personally, as as an entrepreneur, I've struggled with as with with representing aspects of my identity in some mm-hmm. investment rooms, and I've I've mm-hmm. struggled representing that um, I myself um, am neurodivergent, and I've struggled with mental health. That mm-hmm. has become very stigmatized in in yes. so many cases. And entrepreneurs must struggle with mental health because it's it's a very stressful, challenging oh, yeah. environment that you're navigating okay. every day. Most right. entrepreneurs, you know, don't have it easy, right? It's the nature no. of sort of bringing an idea to life. So yep. I think a the intersection of these three things is really beautiful, and I think the more that we're sort of embracing them all together, um, and and we're we're talking about. Them in terms of how we introduce ourselves, I think a it's building so much trust among the people that matter, among the among mm-hmm. the perspectives that matter. It brings mm-hmm. it's building so much trust. It's also signaling to other entrepreneurs, you're not alone. One of the biggest right. things I found with entrepreneurship is people who are entrepreneurs have no one to talk to. They have no one to mm-hmm. talk to. Their teams, you know. They, they want to build they, they want to make sure they're motivating their teams and not ever bringing you know challenging situations up. It's sometimes hard right. to talk to investors in your board okay. when you're talking to fellow entrepreneurs. I, most of the conversation I hear is, "Oh my gosh, things are going so great. How about you?" So <laughs> you know we have to really get real that like this is a this is a tough journey. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, you know I, I've 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 been through three ventures now. Uh-huh. Um, two of them are still around today, and. I, I, there are times that that things have not been easy and it's been really difficult to talk about it, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely love that. I mean, wow, what an answer to end uh, this podcast on it. And and what a great question. By the way, it's like, it's
0: like (laughs) my... Of all the podcasts I've done in the last three months, that is my uh-huh. absolute favorite question that I've been asked. It's so great. And it's and it's I think it's like it's worthy of like its own separate conversation, honestly. Right? <laughs> you right. know, it's really yeah. great. It's really great. So
2: we have to give a shout out to our script writer because Matt and I aren't that intelligent to be able to have written that question.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Well, way to go, we script
2: to, writer. We we have to give credit where credit's due. We're just we're just the pretty face behind a podcast. So you know <laughs> Well, Arthur, well, keep, this keep been
0: doing great. what you're doing. I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, well, I keep telling people I have the face for podcasting. So, you know, here I am. <laughs> oh, Arthur, it has been great. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Chloe Goodry-Reed and at Adam Moore, also at Arthur Woods. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous show and stay tuned for next time. Thank you all again for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H I R E ground.io. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.